You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. This week I'm talking to actor Jonah Hill, but you can add director to that resume now. We're discussing his directorial debut, Mid-90s, a personal story for Jonah that marks the culmination of all he's put into the business so far, and a dream come true at that. So sit tight. This is Playback. Honored to have you as a director. Did you watch the film? I did. Okay, cool. A couple weeks back. Man, some water for you. That'd be awesome. How was it that screening at the uh, new house? Oh, oh, cool. Oh, the one in LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, we were like bouncing, it bouncing. Was, it was around. pretty cool. <laughs> it, it, uh, was that the skateboarding? Mm-hmm, was there a big mm-hmm. skating one? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Lots of warm beers getting passed around. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Added to the flavor. Mm. That's a good context to see it in. Yeah, for sure. I loved it. Great work, man. Thanks. He's just going to grab like an over the shoulder and then just we'll... Just guys chatting. Oh, sure. How's the day been going? So far, so good. Yeah. Yeah, I love being in L.A. I don't live here, so it's like I... Oh, you don't? It. Yeah, it feels like vacation. Now? I live in New York for oh. the past like five or six years. Nice. What part of town? Downtown? Yeah. I'm just going to bring this back after the photo. Okay. I was on the uh, Upper East Side for a year. Yeah. Did you like it? I did. I like that neighborhood a lot. Yeah. Of course, they put in that, you know, the queue goes up there now after I've moved away. That would have been nice when I lived there. That would have been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. 72nd Street stop and stuff like that. Mm. I was just up there last week, actually. It's all pretty different. Yeah. I, I really, you know, there's benefits to living everywhere here. Cool. As you get older, it's nice to live out here because it's relaxing. Yeah, for just. <laughs> I was telling somebody, it's like you can just step out on your porch and there's trees and mm-hmm. you know you're not like in the middle of life. You're not in the middle of the community immediately out here, which can be nice. It can be, yeah. But uh, anyway, we're up and running. Mm. All right, sir. I'm here with uh, Jonah Hill, writer and director of Mid '90s, directorial debut. In fact, mm-hmm. Jonah, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Really, I, I enjoy the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening. Of course. Uh, you know, the old adage: you only get one chance to make your first movie, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was it difficult to decide what would be the first movie you would direct? I would say, yeah, because, uh, you know. Yeah, you only get one shot at it. Yeah. So, you know, I think the after the first one, if I'm lucky enough to get to make more, it will be freeing to have made your first one already. Mm-hmm. Right. And and if I look at my heroes, people who started out in comedy who had great filmmaking careers like Mike Nichols or Barry Levinson, if you look at their first films, a lot of the time they're films that really meant something to them. And I really wanted to take time and have patience to wait until I really, A, was mature enough emotionally, B, had my own voice, and C, had a story that really meant something to me, which is mid-90s. Yeah. Did you have, uh, were there a couple of different ideas that were floating around, or were you zeroing in on this one kind of the whole time? Well, actually, originally, I um, I was writing a play with Spike Jones at the time. We were co-writing a play together, and 
we would do this exercise where we would talk about the screenplays we were writing and walk each other through the story. And originally, the film was about, you know, this was four years ago, the film was about something else. And it kept flashing back to when the kids were young and, and skateboarding together. The main character was with his friends. And Spike uh, wisely pointed out that I was far more exuberant about the the flashbacks, the B story, than I was about the A story. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just made it all about that. Yeah, it's kind of obvious what's dragging you, what's pulling you to it. I that think story, it's yeah. just... I think anything that's a first draft of anything is so bad. You know, I did 20 drafts <laughs> over three years mm-hmm. that... Uh, I always call it, it's like, it's just a bunch of trash and hopefully there's a little heartbeat. It's almost like an ultrasound. <laughs> right, right. And that was the ultrasound of my like initial first thought of a story I wanted to tell. And and the, the little heartbeat came from, you know, the group of young kids together. Yeah. When you first started out in the business, was this like an end game for you at all? Like is, is directing something you expected to, to come around to eventually? Or did you just naturally end up in a place where you wanted mm-hmm. to be a filmmaker also? My dream my whole life is to be a filmmaker, yeah. writer, director. Um, I really accidentally fell into this amazing 15-year acting career. And uh, my life went in a really <laughs> wild other direction. Yeah. But it ended up being incredible, not only because I love acting, but because you know I got this incredible 15-year film school. And I got to work with most of my heroes. And you know, as an actor, you have the ability if you want it to be in a front row seat education to the filmmaking process. So I've also had the good fortune of being in a lot of bad movies as well as good ones, but you can learn as much from, you know, as the good ones. And, and, you know, I've had just a lot of incredible professors that I've learned a lot from. And at the same time, like yourself, I imagine I'm, I'm a cinephile. I just love, I breathe and sleep and eat talking about movies, thinking about film and, have very strong distinction in my own taste. And as an actor, you know, you're one color in someone else's painting. And uh, I've been a decent green for a long time, but ultimately if the, you know, the painter wants to paint purple over it, that's their decision. And so uh, I was waiting till I had, like I said, the, I'd say emotional intelligence to be a leader as well as the confidence in my own voice to, paint my own painting yeah what were some aesthetic influences early on i guess if you wanted to be a filmmaker and that was like your your goal uh you mentioned mike nichols and and, and levinson and stuff but i'm just curious like aesthetically particularly visually visual storytelling Mm -hmm. like what really uh spoke to you as a kid and made you want to do this aesthetically purely i mean i think every film is different so for the film right next like the aesthetic things that are interesting about that relate to it are far different, you know? And for me, um, aesthetics serve emotion and people and story. So, uh, it wasn't like I was really ever, I'm I'm not a candy visual filmmaker, even though I've made one film or it's not the thing that excites me the most. I'll say, um, people, emotions, feelings, characters, stories, you know, those are the things that are really incredible to me. And then the aesthetics should serve that. And so, like, for this film, you know, uh, Elephant, uh, This is England, there, there were just certain films that I think aesthetically <clears throat> serve the tone and the emotions of these people in mm-hmm. this time that were right for that. That gets into my next question. I was going to ask, you know, what did you discover about the process of directing that, that like, 
excited you most was 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 uh you know your favorite part of the process and i was going to say was it a, you know working with you know blavelt and figuring mm-hmm. out the, uh, the 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 visual schematic or was it you know working with the actors and, and that element you know what what part of it ultimately did you take away was your favorite part it's all of it you know as an actor you're you're, you're parachuted into someone else's world so mm-hmm. you know the director hires all the people all the artists all the department heads all the you know people you're around so to me, this was a culmination of 15 years of people I had admired and grown close with to hire as the family of artists creating this thing together. And so, so just getting your hands dirty finally is really. Yeah, you're yeah. just you're just watching. And I kind of waited till I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it was time to sort of curate not only the artists that you love, but the people you're spending your life around, which mm-hmm. is such a luxury, such a joy. That's why it's like. The reward of all of this would get to be to do it again. Yeah. You know? So Blauvelt's like my brother, you know, Nick Huey, my editor, same thing. It's like those are the two closest people, probably collaborators. Um, Scott Rude and Eli Bush and A twenty four and and uh Scott Robertson, my first A D, who I had done super bad and and Moneyball with. And, you know, he had done everything from like the Revenant to Foxcatcher. He's just a brilliant guy and mm-hmm. He was one of the first people I called. You know, a first AD definitely helps make a film or break a film, right? That's so, the general, man. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the man. You know, he's amazing. And Heidi Bivens, my costume designer. And, you know, there's just so many people I knew I had hired three years before we even started shooting, you mm-hmm. know? And I guess to me it just was curating a community that was making something together, mm-hmm. you know? And singularly the most moving thing is, uh, you know, having something that means something really deep to you emotionally and then having these actors connect to it, these young kids who hadn't acted before, then bring it to life and then showing it to an audience and having people laugh or cry or, you know, both. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, just the fact to me that the movie holds so many different emotions is very moving to me. Yeah. I was just hanging out with Scott and Eli in New York last week, actually. Very best. Uh, you know, speaking of Blavelt, you, know, you mentioned Elephant and 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 uh, uh, what was the other one? This is England. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great DP came up under Harris Avitas, the great, mm-hmm. the late great Harris. This is Avitas. a conversation I'm so grateful to have. Right <laughs> yeah, now. yeah, because you know, not many people care that deeply about like Blavelt's background, but right, to right. me, it's incredibly important. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, just talk about that and, and, and zeroing in on what the visual language of this movie was going to be. Well, first of all, you know, Blavel did come up under Harris Savides, who's my favorite DP ever. He did shoot Elephant, and so Blavel even operated on Elephant, mm-hmm. right? So um, He was an operator on Speed, too, which I love. He's, I mean, his family also is, uh, you know, the Blavelts are like lifelong um, camera people, you mm-hmm. know? They are craftsmen, mm-hmm. a family of craftsmen and, and craftspeople, and... Uh, even when I met with Martin Scorsese before the film, he's like, who's shooting your film? And I was like, Christopher Blauvelt. And he's like, he related to Blauvelt? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, best operator I had on Raging Bull. And I was texting <laughs> Blauvelt under the table and Blauvelt was like crying, you know? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. I feel in a new generation, even me shooting on film or even having my film released in theaters, you know, it's like, um, I feel like apprenticeship and like that kind of thing is lost mm-hmm. and I believe in it and the idea that I I did have 15 years of apprenticeship before I went out or Blauvelt had 20 years under Harris before 
you know, he started DPing his own films with Kelly Reichardt and stuff like that. And now my film, it, it, it means something to me, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I, I believe in that it's emotional to me. It's, he, you know, speaks of Harris, how someone would speak of a God or a father or a mentor, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, blah, blah, and I designed an ethic that we didn't break. You know, the camera wasn't going to move unless it necessarily, you know, absolutely had to. And it was for a deep purpose. You know, it wasn't to show how fancy we are. You know, it was mostly still. Um, we stayed wide a lot. It just, it just was things that you design an ethic. And the best compliment Blavel gave me was that he's like, most directors, we design this ethic and they break it out of fear and we mm-hmm. didn't break it. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Proud of him and myself and everybody. Yeah. Uh, did you have any? I kind mean, of- Scott and Eli wanted more coverage than I got, but, <laughs> but your editor did too. <laughs> he was cool. Oh, I mean, yeah? like, like it, I, I love. I mean, Scott and Eli are the most protective, artist-friendly producers I could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And but to me, it's like I want to be the. I want. I would tell the actors I'm shooting this in one shot. So like you, you know, Luke. I would tell Lucas and Sonny like that scene with the two brothers on the couch. We ended up cutting it up just to shorten the scene, but I had them do it in in one take, you know. And I was just like, "This is about the two of you in the frame together. It's not to show how cool I am. It's to show all of your body language and your the way you both behave with one another in yeah. one frame. So you guys better be ready to do it in one take. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And they did, and they were amazing. Did you guys have any like? Uh, were there any reference points in the world of photography at all? I mean, not not necessarily movies you mentioned elephant and stuff but just outside of the realm of movies were there any actually the two like for me uh decline of western civilization one the penelope spheres documentary that covered early punk was um something that uh photography wise chris and i talked a lot about street wise the mary ellen mark film um you know we knew we were shooting super 16 always so Still super 16. I always assumed we were shooting four by three, but it was a battle to get there. Aspect ratio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also just skate videos from that time period and really trying to really be honorable to that, which is always really um, butchered on film. Yeah. You know, why go with that ratio, by the way? Well, again, not to just be cool, right? right. Anything like we couldn't, we, the worst thing I think you can get accused of is just trying to do it because it's cool, mm-hmm. right? I think it has to have a purpose. And to me, two reasons. One, with kids, I wanted to show their body language more than their faces. And so – and how their body language spoke to who they were at that point in their lives. And for 4 by 3 it's it's less of widescreen and the background and it's more square so you see really their whole bodies mm-hmm. you know and also we were going to cut you know one of the characters is shooting height footage at fourth grade he's actually shooting during the scenes and i won't give away the ending but but we were planning on i was planning on perhaps intercutting the height footage with the film footage throughout mm-hmm. the film and so when we did tests, if you if you shot you know normal aspect ratio and cut with the Hyatt footage, it was very jarring. Yeah. And the four three and the Hyatt footage cut like butter. Yeah. So there were just multiple reasons. Uh, the fight to get there was its own battle, and and God bless A twenty four and Scott Rudin <laughs> for letting me fight my way into doing that. Yeah. 
Uh, all the needle drops are so great in the movie. You, got, you. you got one of my favorite songs of all time in there. Which one? Souls of Mischief. 93 Tones. Yeah, that song is so good. Um, it, I agree. It, I think it's the definitive song of that era yeah, of time. Yeah. I, I'm a, I should say I'm like the biggest early mid-90s geek in the world. And yeah. just, just the whole – just everything that was going on in, in the culture at the time. Mm-hmm. Like – you know the, the the rise of a new kind of politician and Bill Clinton and mm. just what was going on with the mishmash of cultures and, and pop mm. culture and stuff. It was just a really interesting time. But regarding the music, Eli told me all of these were bare to kind of clear <laughs> naturally. But you got to have that flavor in there. You know, I mean, it's like I mean every song in the. I was the music supervisor. We yeah. had, I am the music supervisor, and it, it I had written every song to that scene. So every single song, we got every song that was written to that scene years before. Mm -hmm. And I had given the kids iPods, everybody an iPod on the crew and cast. And the first song on it was 93 Till Infinity because I feel that encapsulates um, L.A. culture, skate culture, hip-hop culture at that time. That's the best example to me. Um, But, uh, yeah, we didn't have a big music budget. So I wrote heartfelt letters to all of these artists and – I went to Morrissey first because I figured he would be the most challenging and he was so generous. And right away I was like, good luck with mid nineties. Like, <laughs> and it was amazing. I was like to Eli and everybody and Scott was like, I'm friends with Morrissey. He knows what mid nineties is. It's so <laughs> exciting. And then I have a personal friendship, uh, with Q-Tip who happens to be one of my heroes. And so once I got Morrissey and Q-Tip, I figured most people would be, you know, pretty receptive that this was a serious thing to be a part of and, mm-hmm. and actually worthy of being a part of because they're such respected artists. Yeah. But a big part of the movie was to – thing I wanted to do was to frame hip-hop in a way that it means to me, which, again, like skateboarding is often butchered in films. Like it's usually uh, shown with someone driving through the hood or popping champagne or some stereotype. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was the emotional backbone of, of my growing up. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to make an elegant – film that framed hip hop in the way that Tribe Called Quest to me were what the Beatles were to my parents. Yeah. And that was really important to me and something that it's been a joy to not only show skateboarders, not only show, you know, everybody, but to show these hip hop artists how I view their music and how a generation views their music. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like a fad or, you know, um, some gimmicky thing. No, it's real. It's seminal. It's It's just emotional. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, the you know regarding music, I mean, you got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to come in and do the score. I mean, what were you looking for in like the interstitial music, essentially that would mm. that would kind of fill out the the musical identity of the movie? I guess. I mean, well, I never in my wildest dreams would I think <laughs> that my favorite modern composers, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, would score my first film. You know, and that was luckily we just showed them a cut of the film, and they wanted to do it. And it was amazing. But my idea was I didn't realize how much a filmmaker is responsible. You know, they are asking you for direction. I thought Trent and Atticus were just going to send me music and that was going to be it. But I didn't realize, like, you play with the stems, you change things around, you you really formulate what it is together. And it was an amazing process. Um, For me, my, my major idea was, you know, they're so known for the social network score. That score matches that film, which I believe to be about, like, you know, sort of coldness mm-hmm. and and beauty in its coldness. And to me, I was like, what would it be like if Trent Atticus did warmth? Mm-hmm. What would that feel like with their perverse take on warmth? <laughs> and I'm really happy with how the score turned out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. 
<coughs> this kid, Sonny, uh, your lead is just such a natural. Um, mm. He's he's amazing to watch. Uh, you know, what were you looking for out of who was going to lead a project like this, and was the search exhaustive? I mean, talk about that. I guess it's one. Everything in directing is like. Uh, the preparation is the hard part. So imagining how hard it was going to be and preparing to f- have a nationwide search for the kid was more of the preparation than actually finding him. Yeah. He was right here at the local skate park. <laughs> and he I just knew it was him. You know, I saw him and I knew because he had what I was looking for, which is a kid who was very young looking for their age, but was and small for their age, but was ten feet tall inside. And I knew I wasn't going to hire someone who was meek and have them learn confidence and portray confidence. I knew it was a lot more real to have someone who's very confident and reverse engineer to the beginning of the film and almost try and have them understand meekness. Yeah. And Sonny's just, he was 11 when we shot. I'm 34 and I've been acting for 15 years and I've never had to strap a film to my back and like walk across the field like that. He carries the film, you know? Yeah. So he's just so impressive. Yeah. There's something in his eyes, too. I mean, you know, the camera loves his face, if you will, and mm-hmm. uh, you kind of get lost in there. Um, he's just a, I mean, he's just a serious, real deal actor, and he's only 13 now. I just am so interested to see where he goes. Yeah. All the actors are great. These characters, they, they, they leap off the screen, and it feels like they're sitting there in the theater watching the movie with you. Mm. You know, I mean, that's that's got to be a tough quality to pull off on set, that real that naturalism, that sense of just these guys know each other so well, and, you know, and then translating that off the screen to the audience. I mean, how, mm. how, do you, how do you get at something like that? It's just work. Like I said, it's preparation, so when you get there, it's not as hard. You know, um, some of them did know each other really well in real life, which was really helpful. Um, But the amazing part was I had worked on the script. I did 20 drafts over three years, and I was willing to throw it away because I figured these non-actors, I knew I was going to cast first-time actors, and I was like, oh, they're going to want to improvise. They're not going to be able to, like, become these other people and memorize these lines and deliver them honestly and genuinely. But what I was surprised was they didn't want to improvise. And they worked so tirelessly to become good actors that that's singularly the most like moving experience in my life was watching them just literally learn how to become artists and be empowered to become artists and take that opportunity and grab the bull by the horns. And, and by the end, they were, you know, they would be running scenes when I got there at the trailers and they'd be, mm. you know, they'd have them up and running. Putting in the work. Yeah. yeah. They just, they just, they just were worked harder than I ever could have imagined in my wildest dreams. Yeah. I'm proud of them. What do you think, what's the big takeaway from the entire experience for you? I mean, did, did, was there something about the whole thing that truly surprised you that, that you learned or, you know, what what are you really taking away here? The, the reward is the process. Yeah. I've never been more happy in my life than when I'm either writing, shooting or editing a film. And, uh, the reward solely is that I get to do it again if I get to do it again. I think you'll get another crack at it, man. <laughs> I should. Hey, your mouth to God's ears. That would be great. Well, do, are you? Do you want to phase out acting a bit? Do you, would you rather? I don't view it like that. Like no. I view it like I have the next film I want to write, so I yeah. want the time to write that. I, you know, right now all I'm doing is getting the word out about our film, Mid Nineties, yeah. and um. But there's no plan 
to like do one or the other. It's more like I want to do things, you know, the first, a lot of my career has been things that I kind of was told I should do or what people thought I was. And with this film and even this magazine, I just am putting out like it, it, this is me like coming out as who I am, Mm -hmm. you know? And I intend to do things if I'm lucky enough that just mean something to me mm-hmm. and reflect myself as an artist and not what everyone else wants me to be. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, if we can talk about acting just briefly, I'd love yeah. to talk about the Beach Bomb, the Harmony Corinne film that's coming <laughs> up. I mean, working with Harmony and, and just uh, – what, what can you Harmony. tell me about it? I can't wait to see this movie. But. I mean, I have a tiny uh, yeah. cameo yeah. Like, yeah. like he does in, in my film. Yeah. Um, we traded we traded cameos <laughs> and um, – He's just someone who is a close friend and was super supportive and gave notes on this film and vice versa on Beach Bum. And uh, he's just someone I admire very much. He's someone who is truly his own artist. He really does not care what people want from him or want of him. He wants to make things. And we live in a world where that's less and less. And we live in a media – we work in a medium where (laughs) it's harder and harder to make those kinds of projects. And Mm -hmm. I admire his – ferocity and fight to get the things he wants to get done done which no one ever really wants to seem to help him just do right right if i was up to films i'd say give harmony corinne whatever (laughs) he wants you know but um i don't know i adore him and he's a good person and a really really generous uh with his advice and thoughts and and just a talented man yeah awesome looking forward to that everybody should go see this mid 90s it's october 19th is a release date. Check it out. Jonah's going to be doing this, I think, more and more because clearly you love it. So that's I'm very happy to hear kind. That, dude. Yeah. Thanks again for coming. I'm on I'm just show. a film nerd, like 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 everybody else. <laughs> that I can't believe I get to you know have even made such a meaningful film to me. Yeah, man. Well, congrats. Thanks, Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, it's great. Highlight of my day.